Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Thank you all for coming and joining me here in Gospel Saving Church in my home in McKinney, Texas. And thank you guys all for coming from SoundCloud and all over the world and iTunes or wherever you're coming from. God bless you. And thank you for coming, visiting Gospel Saving Church today. It's a beautiful uh, day in May. Uh, Hi, I'm Ed. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli, and uh, I'm the pastor of Gospel Saving Church. And uh, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I thank you for being here, but we always pray to start our services, so God will bless the service and help us to understand and help us to hear. So you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it. Lord, we just uh, lift up this service to you, and we thank you, Lord God, for giving us this word this week, Lord, giving me this word, Lord, this week. And thank you for giving your word to all people, Lord God, for your word is for everybody and anybody that'll desire to read it and desire to seek you and desire to you know know who you are or to know you more, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is a light to our feet and a lamp unto our path, Lord God. It, it lights the way, Lord. It lights the way for our lives as we live every day and it lights the the, the road to heaven, Lord, if, if we care about coming and being with you forever. I just thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, Lord. I, I uh, want to ask you, Lord, please, to bless this service. Bless this message, Lord. Bless my mouth, Lord, so I would be able to speak clearly and, and help those listening to understand your word and the importance of the things in your word, Lord, and what the things in your word mean, Lord. But I, I pray, Lord, that it wouldn't just be me talking, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit, Lord, would would fill my heart and fill my soul and fill my mouth, Lord, and, and help me to communicate, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would communicate through me, I should say, all the truths of your word to those that are listening, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, most of all, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is... He speaks through those listening to me, Lord, would do two things, Lord. Bring conviction that leads to repentance to life for those that aren't yours and helps those that are yours grow into a deeper and stronger relationship with Jesus Christ. And these things I pray and I ask them all in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in a brand new book this week in Gospel Saving Church. We got a brand new one. It's 1 John 1 verses 1 through 4, and we'll read them after my thoughts from last week's message and some directions. So if you guys uh, want to start opening your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you can, um, but you can listen along to me here as I give you my thoughts from last week's message, the unknown God. So last week we read about how the Athenians, those in Greece, had an altar to the unknown God in the midst of all their other gods. They had gods to Zeus and Hera and Hermes and all these other gods that the Grecians worshipped, okay? And, but then Paul came to the Areopagus and he told him, you know, hey, I want to talk to you about this statue that you have, this altar that you have to the unknown god, if you remember correctly. And well, I know personally that today there are a lot of people that still who are unsure who God really is. And so to them... God would be to them as to the Athenians as the unknown God. So, you know, so if you're listening to this message today and you're one of those people or you know someone who isn't really sure who God is, my word to you or the person you may know if you want to pass it along is this. He is only unknown to you because you've not set your heart to seek him 
and grope for him to try to find him. Paul told us last week, remember, in verse 26 of Acts 17, that God placed us in certain times and places, right? So God divined and purposely put you in the place you live, the time you live in, in the state, in the country, wherever, so that, Acts 17, 26, we should seek the Lord in the hope, his hope, by the way, not my hope and not your hope, his hope, that we might grope for him and find him. That means that God desires to you to seek him so that he can reveal himself to you. So if you or someone you know really cares about the question of who God really is, I beg of you, God begs you, please set your heart to seek and grope for him and he will make sure that you find him. Seek him. By that, ask him who he is. And you ask him who he is. And you ask him who he is. And you keep asking him who he is. God. God. Creator. Creator God. The one who created me. Because you can't deny that. There is a God. We are created. You know, how did we get here? God, if you're real, please reveal yourself to me. God, who are you? What is your name? And just ask And Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock, and he will reveal himself to you if you come with a true heart, really just wanting to know who God really is. And that's it. Really quick thoughts from last week. I just wanted to uh, reaffirm that. God just laid that on my heart. Um, Again, if you guys want to turn to 1 John 1, verses 1 through 4, the title of our sermon today is Jesus Christ, the Word of Life, But do you doubt? Short title, though, Jesus Christ, the word of life. But I threw in there at the end, but do you doubt? And you'll see what I mean as we keep going on through my sermon. Now, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to give you some directions first, in case you're still wondering, where is 1 John? So, 1 John is the epistle. It's not the gospel. It's in the very back of your Bible. If you're not quite there yet, you can turn to the very back of the Bible and go to book Revelation. That's the very last book in every single Bible that there is. If you go to the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, and you turn small four small books back to your left, in the English version, of course, you'll find 1 John. If you're not there and you don't care to be there, that's fine. You can listen along. I gave you the directions. You could be there if you want to be there. I'm going to read it. 1 John 1-4. through 4. Listen along or read along with me. John says, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness, and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Now, before I teach this, I want to tell you a little bit about John. Being as it This is the first book of John that I've ever taught in Gospel Saving Church. Maybe you're not familiar with who John is. So who is John? Just a little bit of a recap of 
who John is. Just kind of like a quick overview. There's more. I could say a lot more about John and things that he did and so on and so forth. But I'm just going to give you a basic kind of, hey, once you know these things, you'll have a really good idea about who John is. Who is he? John was of Jewish descent, as all the disciples were. John was one of the first four disciples. Jesus had 12, remember, all the way from, you know, Matthew, all the way from Peter to Judas. But John was the fourth disciple that Jesus chose, along with his brother John. It was James and John, and they were the, set, the third and fourth ones that Jesus chose in the very beginning of his ministry. He was just a simple fisherman. Like, you know, he was following, following in his father's footsteps. This is what they did back then. They kind of had apprenticeship, and they were mostly apprenticed under their father. They were kind of did what their fathers did. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was, Jesus was a carpenter before he, he you know, he, he got morphed, you know, before he came out as the son of God. And he was following, following in his father's footsteps was carpentry. Uh, John was the disciple who had nicknamed himself the one Jesus loved in his gospel. He was also one of the big inner three circle of Jesus. Jesus had 12, but he also had three, like a very close internet, you know, like kind of like they went with him everywhere. They went with him up on the mountain of transfiguration. They did some special things with him. Uh, they went with him, in, you know, to pray when he went to the garden. So he was, John was one of the inner three, along with Peter and another. John wrote five books in the New Testament, which is second most to Paul. Uh, they are the Gospel of John. That was John's Gospel. First John, we're going to read it. We're going to start today. Second John, Third John. There's kind of all three epistles there in a row in your Bible. And then the book of Revelation. He was the only one of the 12 disciples that died of natural causes. All, Judas killed himself. The other 10, they were all murdered for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And John was the only one that died of natural causes. But it wasn't because they didn't try to kill him. They tried to martyr him a number of times and ways, but God wouldn't let them succeed in their evil plans. You could say, going back a few sermons, that he was bulletproof because God wasn't done using him, for he had one more huge task to write, okay? What was that? Well, after they couldn't kill him and they couldn't make him shut up and tell other people about Jesus Christ, they imprisoned him on the island of Patmos, where that's where the task God had for him. While he was secluded, while he was all alone, while he was, you know, forsaken on this island of Patmos, that's when God came down, took him up to heaven, and that's when he gave him the, the revelation of the last book of the Bible, the, the visions, the, 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 he was in heaven, and he saw the throne of God, and he saw the whole end of the world, and that's what God had left for him to do. Is why they couldn't kill him. Is he had to write the book of he had to write the book of Revelations or the end of the world. Um, and one last interesting note about John: he died in his early nineties. Now that's old for then, as many people in John's age didn't live that long. He was born in six A.D. and died in ninety-eight A.D. So he was about ninety something years old when he died, which is would he even old for today? Um, anyway, we're not here to only talk about John the whole service, right? John was not the creator of heaven and earth, and he wasn't the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wasn't God Almighty, so we're not going to spend the whole service talking about just about John. We're going to move our focus now to what John says. Although we're not here to talk solely about the Apostle John, we must look at what he writes in these first four verses of his epistle, because in what he writes here, we can know for sure that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, 
that he was the creator of everything, that he was the one that literally holds all creation together, that the one that really existed, that Jesus Christ really existed, and that he was who he said that he was. Isn't that important that we know that? I mean, after all, I mean, it's nice to know about this figure, Jesus, and we can read about him in the Bible, but how do we really know that Jesus Christ really existed? Well, John gives us some really awesome material to work with, so let's look at these verses in depth, verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to show you how John shows us how that we can really know Jesus Christ really existed existed. I'm going to read the first and last parts of verse 1, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to go forth, okay? So the first part, the very first line of John 1, 1 says, that which was from the beginning. The very last part of verse 1 of John 1, 1 is concerning the word of life. And I know there's a middle part and I left that out, but just think about the first and the last part. That's what that which was from the beginning concerning the word of life. What does he say? I, John, am going to tell you or declare to you, as he uses the word, the reader, something from the beginning about the word of life. Who is this word of life? Well, if we go down to verse 3, of course, John makes it clear where he says that our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we know the word of life is Jesus Christ. But John here in this 1 John 1, 1, actually, I, I, he almost did this, I wonder, as an absolute parallel to his gospel, right? His gospel, the very first verse in his gospel, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. A word of life. And the word was with God, and the word was God. This is what John declares in his very first verse of his gospel. And here he almost mimics it in the first book of his first epistle. And he says, uh, that which is from the beginning concerning the word of life. Okay, get it? So he's talking about Jesus Christ. John wants to tell us, his readers, or anybody that reads this book, something about the beginning of when Jesus Christ, the word of life, began to show who he really was to all who came in contact with him. So he's, he's kind of given us a, hey, this is what happened when Jesus Christ came, you know, revealed himself. In case you didn't know, up until about the age of 30, Jesus was a pretty normal person. He didn't go around, you know, raising people from the dead. He didn't do all kinds of miracles. He didn't proclaim himself to be God. He never healed the blind. He did some really neat stuff. You know, he went to Jerusalem with his family and he kind of stayed there and he wasn't going to go back with his family. But he, he didn't really come out as like, hey, this is who I am, guys. Up until he was about 30, he followed in his dad's footsteps. He worked in carpentry. He, he loved God, of course. He was a very religious man, of course, as we know through scripture, because he was a learned man about God and stuff. And so we know that he was a very religious person. But other than that, he really wasn't any different than, you know, a very religious person today. Okay. He just acted kind of normal. Then around the age of 30, he went out to John the Baptist and he was baptized. And from that point on, everything changed. At that point on, he started recruiting his disciples, Peter and his brother, Peter and, and his brother and James and John, the same John we're reading about now, and Judas and Matthew and uh, all the disciples. He started recruiting them. And he, then he proclaimed himself the Son of God and he started doing mass miracles. And then he declared himself God Almighty and him and God were one. And he did all these awesome things. And then, of course, they didn't like him and, you know, they killed him. And then he rose again and became the, 
you know, the one to offer uh, new life to anybody that comes to him. So, of course, up until 30, he was just a normal guy, though. So, anyway, now back to John's epistle. So, what about Jesus Christ, the word of life, from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus' ministry, does John want to tell us in these first four <laughs> verses? He starts out here by giving his readers some of the most powerful evidence of Christ's existence that anybody could ever give us. And you might say where? Well, we, we already read the first part of ver- we already read the first part of verse one, and we already read the last part of verse one, but right there sandwiched in the middle between that beginning and that end of verse one, we have the meat of that verse one, the whole, uh, this is, this is where the sermons really gets, really gets interesting right there in the middle of verse one. I'm going to read it. John says concerning this word of life from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. He gives us the reader. He gives the reader then a first-hand, super-personal account and witness of the word of life, Jesus Christ, testifying that he had experienced knowing him in some really powerful, awesome ways. And he didn't just say me. Notice here he said, which we have heard. What is he saying there? Well, we know that John wasn't the only disciple, so we know that John worked with other people that came along with him, other disciples. So he's saying, which we have heard. Now, there is no stronger hold up in the court of law or evidence or testimony in the whole world than a person who has an eyewitness, firsthand account of an event or encounter with something or someone. We're not talking about here uh, an eyewitness to account that kind of glanced out of the corner of his eye and and he saw something that was, oh wait, oh I thought I saw something, oh yeah, yeah, there it was. No, we're talking about the super powerful eyewitness experiential testimony, witness, eyewitness account of a man that walked with the word of life that again, didn't just see it or glance at it, but as he says here, and I'm going to run through them, he gives this eyewitness testimony account, and he gives them in some really, really, look at the senses he names off. I'm going to break them down. He says, first of all, which we have heard. Okay, hearing is one thing, and that one's pretty neat. So John just didn't see it. He didn't just glance at it. He heard it. Like you listening to a song, you know, listening is, is a hearing. It's a pretty awesome, you know, sense. When we hear things, we can receive them and we listen and we listen and we learn as we hear. So John says, first of all, about this eyewitness testimony that he gave, that he heard the word of life. He heard Jesus talking. So we know Jesus spoke, right? The next one's awesome, which we have seen with our eyes. So this isn't just a a, a see like a glance. This is a see like I'm looking at you right here and there. John looked upon, he saw Jesus Christ. He saw him across the room. He saw him right next to him. He heard him speak and then he saw him. And then he goes into the next category, the most powerful category. And I want you to really think about this category. He says, not only have we heard, not only have we seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. 
This isn't just a hearing now. This isn't just a seeing. Think about the phrase looked upon. Looked upon means more to just see from across the room. Looked upon means to gaze upon. It means to examine. It means to intently look. God gave me this one example. Think of this. Jesus is asleep, right? He's just had a busy day of ministry. And he's exhausted because Jesus was often exhausted because he was, you know, he did a lot of work for God. So in awe of the amazement of the day by all the miracles that all the disciples saw, they can't sleep. Can you imagine this? I mean, think about it, right? I mean, they just witnessed Jesus. Let's say the day he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. So he saw Jesus Christ feed. Him and the disciples saw Jesus Christ feed from, from five loaves and, and two fish or, or something like that. He saw him feed with, with, with enough food that might have fed five people. He saw, the disciples saw Jesus feed 15,000 plus people. And their minds are going, did I, did I just see that? They're in awe, they're in amazement. That day they're going, oh my gosh. I can't believe what Jesus just did. Oh my did you see that, Peter? Did you see that, James? Did you see that, Simon? Did you, did you see that, guys? Oh my gosh, that was powerful. Well, Jesus, he's the Son of God. It doesn't bother him. He, he's been doing that. He created the world. Right? He spoke the world into existence. So yeah, that's not very amazing to him. So Jesus is asleep. Right? He's relaxing. He's, he's dozed off. He's, he's sound asleep. He's tired. He's still in a fleshly body. Gets, gets tired. But the disciples, see, they can't sleep. They lay down and they may be next to their fire keeping warm. You know, it's a little cool evening or something. And, and they're like, man, did you believe what you just saw? And then as he's sleeping, they just kind of sit up and they just like look at him. Wow. He just did that. And they examine him. But but he looked just so normal. But how, how did he do those miracles? Oh, my gosh. And they, and they just lay there awake because they can't sleep because he did such powerful things and they saw it firsthand. This is what John is saying here, which we've seen with our eyes. We've heard him. We've looked upon him, reader. We've looked upon him. We gazed upon him. We studied him. Wow, I mean, he was right there. And then he finishes and he says, this one, and that one gave me goosebumps. Then he, and he says, lastly, and our hands have handled. He gives the last sense, the hands, the touch. They hugged him. They shook his hand. They helped him up if he fell. You know, they, they, he gave them the fish. They gave him the fish and he handed the fish out or they handed the fish out or whatever. They touched him though. Do you get the picture here? John and the others had fully seen and they completely experienced Jesus Christ, the word of life, a hundred percent in every single way. Sight, hearing, gazed upon, and they touched him. They experienced him a hundred percent in every way. That is powerful testimony, I would say. But John doesn't doesn't stop there. Look at what he says in verse 2. He goes on to say, the life, so Christ's life, was manifested or, or made known to us, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested or made known to us. So we saw him. 
we bore witness to him and that he really did come, reader. He really did come. We were right there with him. And now we're here to tell you, reader, that he really was the word of life. He really was Jesus Christ and that God brought eternal life through him because that's what we both saw and that's what we all experienced. We didn't, this is not something we're telling you from somebody that told us, reader. We did this. We saw him ourselves with our own eyes, with our hands. And we're here and we're telling you this is who he is and this is what he did and God brought eternal life through him. Now, It's been said of me that I repeat myself too much. And I've listened to my own sermons, and I agree with those who have said this, and I'm working on that now, not repeating myself so much. But as far as what I just read from John, ladies and gentlemen, I wasn't repeating myself, but John did repeat himself a second time. He repeated himself about that Jesus Christ lived. He repeated the fact that they saw him by their sight. He repeated again that he lived and that he he repeated again that he's being a witness of the life of Christ. You see, John was emphatically attempting to help us, his readers, get the picture that Jesus Christ was not just a pigment of his imagination. Whether you know this or not, back in the third century, there was this sect that came out. And they were called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics said of Jesus Christ, okay, that he never came in the flesh. That he was just like this apparition and he floated around. He didn't die for the sins of the world. He didn't. He was just like a ghostly kind of, you know, uh, apparition. But here, that's impossible because you can't handle an apparition with your hand. You can see it, but you can't gaze upon it intently and look at every little feature because they're just kind of, they just go and go and go. They just, they come real quick and they go. But Jesus Christ here, John was telling us that, hey, I didn't just see him. We handled him. They ate with him. We saw his life. And now we're declaring you that he wasn't just, he wasn't just any apparition. That he, he gave eternal life. Eternal life came through him. And eternal life can't come through a ghost because a ghost can't die for your sins. And so John here is emphatically wanting his readers to know that Jesus Christ is really real and he truly offers eternal life. But John's not quite done repeating himself. Read the first part of verse 3. He says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. He, d- he repeats the facts of how he and others had seen and heard Jesus Christ, the word of life, and the fact that they are now declaring it to us again. This is like the second or third time now that John keeps repeating himself. And this may seem a bit extreme of John to do this, but I want you to know a fact of this type of writing history here that we're looking at. When a writer in John's day wanted to emphasize a super important point to their readers, they repeated themselves twice plus. Today, when we want to emphasize a point to others in a text message or an email or, or et cetera, whatever in our writing, we give our letters or the parts that we want to emphasize all caps. Hey man, I want to tell you God's real. Capitalize it all. And what that means is that means we're yelling. When you caps all, if you ever see caps all on anything you see in an email or text message, that means they're yelling at you. Now, it doesn't mean that they're trying to be mean. It means that they're yelling at you because they're emphatically wanting to emphasize their point to you. 
I love you in all caps, man. I love you. That's, hey, they're, they're really emphatically trying to tell you that they love you. Well, John lived in a different culture in a different time, and they didn't caps all their words in their writings, but they did repeat what they said. And this is what we read of John doing here. And if you haven't already figured it out, John really wants his readers to understand that Jesus Christ, the word of life, was not a fictional character and that he and those with him really experienced him in the flesh and in the fullness of life. They witnessed him walking around. They they witnessed him living and breathing. They they witnessed him doing, eating, you, you name it. They even studied him intently. And this, my ladies and gentlemen, is a powerful awesome first-hand experienced eyewitness testimony of somebody that was there and lived through it. Wow, what a testimony that John gives here. Uh, but, but why was this testimony of John and the other disciples, witness of Christ, so important? Why was it so important that John repeats himself here two and three times on these simple facts of what he's saying? Why, why does he keep saying it over and over and over again? Well, read the rest of verse 3. He, says, he goes on to say, That you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, John wanted to help his readers to truly become one in the Spirit and fellowship with the disciples. To really kind of have communion with them, even though they may not have been with them. To have communion in the same mind and the same thought of, hey, this is what we believe. And in turn, he also wanted his readers to truly believe and have faith in and come into fellowship with or in a true relationship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of life. You see, at the time John wrote this epistle, many of his readers had probably never even seen Jesus Christ alive in the flesh. They might have heard about him from, you know, people that heard from others, but they probably had never seen him personally. And John, in the opening verses of this epistle, wanted to destroy every shred of doubt that his readers could have in their minds about the reality of Jesus Christ, who he was, and what he had come for. John, one of the first leaders of the Christian church, the great apostle and evangelist, always had a desire for his non-saved readers to come into fellowship with Jesus Christ and be saved and, and for his Christian audience to have fellowship in the Spirit with the disciples and just as close of a relationship with Jesus Christ and God Almighty as the disciples had currently and had had with Christ before he died and before he resurrected. Jesus, listen to this, is praying for his disciples as they're walking out to the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about that earlier where he was about to be betrayed by Judas. And look at what he says of the disciples' firsthand experience testimony. He says, Jesus knows that John and the disciples are going to have an awesome testimony about him because they walked with him fully. They walked with him for like three and a half years. They ate with him. They All this here, we heard him. We saw him. We, we looked upon him. We, we handled him with our hands. Look at what Jesus said. He says, as he's praying for the disciples, he says, but I don't pray for these alone, meaning his disciples. He says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Or you could say, 
through their testimony that they were going to give about me through their first-hand testimony. So even Jesus Christ knew that the first-hand, that the disciples' first-hand experienced testimony of the disciples would cause people to put their faith in and have true fellowship in him and get saved. And look at what John says, lastly, solely to the Christian readers. Verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So we the disciples, we don't want you to just have true fellowship relation with us and God the Father, but we also want you to be joyful. We want you to have joy in God. We want you to have joy in Christ Jesus. And not just some joy. We want your joy to be full. How could John's And the disciples' first-hand experience testimony help Christians be joyful? Well, because Jesus Christ, according to John, first-hand is real. John experienced him, right? John was there. Jesus Christ, he said, brought salvation. We know by what John wrote that he overcame the world. He overcame sin and death. And he offers eternal life to all who will abide in him until the end. Jesus Christ said the same thing in John 16, 33, as John recorded it. He says, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In me. He goes to say, in the world you will have tribulation. And you could say a lot of pain. I'll add that because I see a lot of pain in this world. I experience a lot of pain from this world. He says, but be of good cheer, peace and cheer, joy, I have overcome the world. Jesus wants us to have peace and joy and good cheer because he overcame the world. Not because of the good things of the world, because the good things of the world are all perishing away. They're all passing away. Can't keep them forever. But in him, there's peace and joy. And we know that he overcame the world. We know he overcame sin and death. And so we can have eternal life with him. And those words of Jesus Christ are amazing. But listen, You can't prove that he existed or that he really even said them unless there just so happened to be someone who could supply a real-life, first-hand experience testimony of his coming and his speaking to them. And here, John brings us this proof to help people really have true faith in Jesus Christ and help those that are saved have joy. Okay, now that we've just looked over John's irrefutable, irrefutable, excuse me, proof of the existence of Christ, the word of life, not only were he and the disciples eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, but they also experienced him firsthand in some of the most personal, powerful ways that a person can. And John also testified that not only was Jesus Christ the word of life, but that he was also the one who brought eternal life to mankind. I got to tell you something. As I prepared this message this week for this Sunday, I should say last week for this Sunday, because Sunday is the first day of the week, I really had joy as a Christian. I got to tell you that. I just, as I read, as I studied, as I repent, as I typed in the words on my little phone that I do my sermons on, that I prepare the sermons on, I really had joy as a Christian. Why? Why did I have joy as I was preparing the sermon? Well, John's testimony here really made me excited because it just helped me to realize that John and the other disciples really experienced Christ in these physical, awesome, personal ways. And it helped me with the fact that his reality was a solid fact 
ladies and gentlemen. His reality was a solid fact. And it helped me to realize that he really was who he said that he was. He was really the giver of peace now. And he was really the eternal, the one that brought eternal life forever to all who come to him. Praise God for John's testimony. I, I, you know, faith, Paul said, I fight the good fight of faith. In our lives, our human minds, they always doubt faith. They always doubt miracles. I've done, God's done miracles through me. I've done miracles by the hand, you know, for God he's, that he's done through me and, and, and different times and, and different ways. And although I'll do those miracles, I'll pray and then God will do a miracle or I'll cast something away and it'll go away. My mind, even though I know it happened, I see it happening. I see the miracle. My human mind says, what, what, that, that, no, that just didn't happen. No, you just, I prayed for a guy on the streets three, four years back and, oh, I've been to the hospital and this pain, I'm having a heart attack and I can't get this pain in my chest and, oh, it debilitates me. Oh, it, you know, it's hitting me right now kind of thing. I laid my hand on this man, made another brother of mine, and we prayed for him. We came out of the prayer in Jesus' name and he goes, I'm done, it's done, it's gone, I haven't been there. I saw it right there, I prayed for him and the miracle happened right then and there. We praised God, I walked away, my mind went, was it just... just didn't, didn't just happen. What? No, he was lying. No, that, that didn't really happen. What? No, my mind said no, but my heart said, yeah, God just did that. So John here, with his testimony this week, made my human mind go, wow, that is solid. That is solid evidence that Jesus Christ really existed. Wow, Jesus Christ really was who he said he was. Wow. And it just gave me joy. If you're a true Christian and you're listening to this message, I hope that my teaching on John's words here, that John's words to you gave you joy. And it gave you confidence as well. I hope and pray that it did because it should. John saw it. He wasn't just heard it from another guy who heard it from another guy who heard it from another guy. John was the one there. He saw it, heard it, touched it, tasted it, saw it looked upon it, handled it. That's awesome, Christian. That's awesome. And that ought to give us just supernatural awesome faith. Maybe you came and you're, maybe you turned on the radio or the computer or whatever, not believing. And now you truly do believe in Jesus Christ after what I read and after what I taught today. Well, that's awesome. God's desire for you is to first to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. You can't do anything. If you don't first believe, then nothing else will come later. So now that you believe, that's awesome, but that's not where he wants you to stop. He wants you to truly to come to have fellowship and relationship with him. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start by what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 39. He said, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses this his life for my sake will find it. So what does that mean? It means that, okay, so we, we, if we lose our lives, For his sake, that means we give up our control over our lives. We surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ for his sake so that we may find eternal life. How do you do that? 
you turn your face to heaven now. If you finally believe for the first time, you turn your face to heaven right now and you apologize to God for your sin because you're a sinner. And the Bible says because of your sin, you're on your way to hell. Well, you ask God, forgive you of your sins in Jesus' name. Then you ask Jesus Christ to save you and you ask him to come into you and you ask him to make his home in you as he promises in scripture and you ask him to let you be born again. Jesus, can you make me a new creation? And then you just, Jesus, I want to be saved. I want to have a relationship with you. I know you're true. Now I love you. I believe you, God. I love you. Here I am. Then you start reading your Bible to start having a personal relationship with Christ, to learn more about Christ, and you start praying and asking God to lead you to a good, solid Christian church, and you don't ever stop surrendering to Jesus Christ, and you don't ever stop believing and putting your faith in Him, and you don't ever stop totally trusting Him with your everything. But maybe John's testimony in this epistle wasn't enough for you to have faith in Christ. And believe and get saved. Maybe you're still a skeptic and not sure that Jesus Christ really came and that he was who he said he was. Well, I'm sorry that John's testimony didn't do that for you. The same type of evidence, by the way, in a court of law today would even be enough for a lawyer to get a guilty person convicted or an innocent person acquitted. This firsthand eyewitness experience account of a group of people that had that had the kind of testimony that John and the disciples had is irrefutable, even in a court of law, even today. But if this part of John's testimony didn't do it for you, there's one more aspect of what John and the disciples said about Jesus Christ and who he said he was that could sway you to believe in him and put your faith in him. What is it? It's the testimonies that John and the disciples gave of the resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm not going to go into much depth about this today for time's sake, But I did do a whole sermon about this, and I'll put a link to that sermon on the page where this message is on SoundCloud and and, uh, and then GospelSavingChurch.com. But you see, in 1833, there was a man named Simon Greenleaf. He was named to the Royal Professorship of Hardship. In 1834, he was awarded the Honorary Doctor of Law's degree at Harvard. In 1846, he succeeded Judge Joseph Story as Dane Professor of Law at Harvard University. Simon Greenleaf was a pretty impressive man with many impressive titles in his career, right? Absolutely he was. Harvard to Harvard Law School, which still exists to this day. Well, being as that he was a major figure at Harvard Law School, he knew his law. Wouldn't he? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Well, at one point in his life, he was a non-believing, anti-God, Bible skeptic that thought he would prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ a fraud and really the whole Bible, because if one event is fabricated, then the whole Bible is fraudulent. And he thought that he was going to do it by examining the evidence given in writing by the four gospel writers of the facts that they, which would be John and the disciples, gave of Christ's resurrection. But... In his examination of the evidence found in the Gospels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ given by John and the disciples, Simon Greenleaf decided that the resurrection was, guess what, the most supported historical event in all history. Not just, oh, a good idea, but the most supported historical event in all history. And he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And because of this, he wrote a famous book called An 
examination of the testimony of the four evangelists by the rules of evidence administered by the courts of justice. And that came from a master of law who was a major figure in Harvard Law School history. He made Harvard, in fact, what it is today. He was one of those that contributed to made Harvard what it is today, which is one of the most prestigious law schools in the whole world. Why did Simon turn his life to Christ after his investigation of the Gospels of Jesus Christ? Because of what happened to the disciples after they encountered the risen Lord Jesus Christ. It was amazing. They literally went from scared cowards to roaring lions for Jesus Christ, even sealing their testimony of his resurrection with their lives, all except for John. And they would have killed him, as I already said today in today's sermon, but they wouldn't succeed. God foiled their plans because God wasn't done with them. But all the rest... The 10 out of the 12 of the Judas that killed himself all sealed their testimonies that Jesus Christ was alive with their blood. They all went to their death and all they had to do was say, we deny Jesus Christ. He's not the son of God. And they wouldn't have killed him, but they wouldn't do it. So they were killed for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And the only thing that caused their transformation was their experiencing the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, for you today, skeptic, it's okay. If you still don't believe, just look at the testimonies of John and the disciples and the evidence of Jesus Christ for yourself. And ask God, ask God if he's real. You have nothing to lose if you're a skeptic. Ask God if he's real. Ask God if he'll reveal himself to you. If you really do this with an earnest heart, to try to know the truth, I promise you, and so does God, especially by Acts 17, if you really earnestly care and you earnestly want God to reveal himself to you, just ask him. Ask him to reveal himself to you so that you can be saved. He did it for me and he could do it for you too because he loves you so much. And his desire for you is to surrender to Jesus Christ and to come to have a relationship with him and God so that you could be saved just as John told us in verse 3 of today's text. Will you seek him or will you do nothing i'm going to pray for you now and let's pray pray to close the service would we lord thank you so much lord for your word thank you so much lord for the eyewitness testimony of john lord we don't worship a fiction or a fairy tale lord god or a story passed down and passed down and passed down and you know the the the, the game that everybody thinks that the Christian, Christians played, Lord, you know, where somebody saw it and they passed it on down the line. And, and then they, by the time the end of the story got done, when then we got a purple-headed dragon with, with three toes and, and, he, and he flew around in circles and went to space and, and whatever, Lord, we, we have a first-hand, eyewitnessed, experienced testimony of the Apostle John, who would have given up his life for you. He did give up his life for you, but they couldn't kill him because he had to write the book of Revelation. But Lord, we have a firsthand eyewitness experience testimony of 10 men that were sold out to you. 11 men, excuse me, Lord, that were sold out to you that gave their lives for you because they believed in you wholly and fully and truly and didn't attack and murder and go on a killing spree, but Lord, were attacked and were murdered or tried to be murdered and then they lost their lives believing what they believed for you. Thank you, Lord, for this eyewitness testimony of John. Thank you, Lord, for the concreteness of Jesus Christ and the reality of who you are and what you did for us and who you really were. (laughs) 
We love you and we praise you, dear God. And I pray for all, Lord, of those out there maybe that are listening that still aren't sure. God, I pray that they'd ask. And I pray that they'd seek. And I pray they'd knock, Lord God. And they'd ask you who you really are. And seek you to find you, Lord. So that you can reveal yourself to them. So that they may be saved. And I pray, Lord, they may say, Well, I asked already and nothing happened, Lord. Then that's not seeking. Because asking one time is not seeking. I pray that they keep asking. And they keep seeking. And they keep searching. And they keep looking under every rock, Lord. Until you reveal yourself to them and take you at your word. We love them, Lord, and you love them, Lord. We pray that you would save them. Lead them to the rock. Lead them to the rock that is higher than them. Lead them to eternal life with you. We love you and we praise you, dear God. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.